You are listening to the Forfeit Fatherhood Podcast. And we're having conversations with dope dads covering the four pillars of fatherhood. We call it the Fit Fatherhood Formula. Faith, family, finance, and fitness. That's right. These dads are setting the pace in business and fatherhood. This show isn't only about the outside success. We're getting down to who you are. Gentlemen, it's time to get fit. And and, 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 and now, let's get into the show. Let's get into the show. Let's get into the show. All right, welcome back to the Forfeit Fatherhood podcast, a podcast for fathers by fathers, uh, where we focus on the four pillars of fatherhood, which are faith, family, finance, and fitness. Uh, and today I have a, another another guest with me. Uh, I have Sean Surface. Let me make sure I'm saying that right. Surface? You got it perfect. Yeah, good yeah, job. There we go. See, look, man, I'm on it. All right, uh, I have Sean Surface with me, and there's actually a, a special guest, guys. Guys, if you've been if you've been watching the podcast, if you've been listening to the podcast, and I, and I told Sean this, he is the, the first non black uh guest that i've had and and i um i like i told him i, I kind of struggled with it a little bit because i felt like my mission was to address black fatherhood right but if fatherhood is as important to me as i say it is then it's all encompassing right everybody's story everybody's message everybody's experience is important for us to understand so that we can all be better fathers so my message isn't just to black fathers it's for fatherhood in general um, and so when, when Sean hit me up about, about being on the podcast, and I actually found him before he found me, um, but when he hit me up about being on the podcast and kind of talking about his journey, I was like, man, this is the push that I needed, right? This is the, the, the message, right? Because I had been going over it on my own about whether to do it. And then when he approached me, I was like, yo, this is the confirmation right here. So um, I'm excited to have Sean on the show. I'm excited to talk to him about his journey. Um, we've got some really good group things going on, which I'm sure we'll get into, but uh well, Sean, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the fellas. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show, man. Like, and being the first non-black man on the show, to me, I want you to know that that's something that, like, I can't even explain how much that means to me, that you saw something in me to be able to, to do this with you. Because um, I grew up in Philadelphia, so all my friends growing up were mostly black and Puerto Rican friends. Um and it was something that's always been important in my life. My dad raised me on diversity. Uh, I had a chance to go to a high school that was pretty much an all-white Catholic school. And my dad said, no, Sean, I think the benefits of you staying in a public school and staying with the diversity is going to, in the long run. So it's something that's very important to me. When we get into the mentorship, uh, it'll, that'll even come out even further. Um, but just a quick rundown of who I am. From 16, I grew up in Philadelphia. From 16 to 26 years old, I struggled real bad with drug addiction. Um, I messed up a lot of really good things in my life. I had full ride scholarships that I messed up. Um, I was kicked out of the Marine Corps. I failed out of college and I just struggled with drugs and being incarcerated from uh, 26 years old to 32. Um, and that just kind of gave me a wake up to kind of realize how important this stuff was. I had a great father who was very present. He was military, so he was gone a lot, but um that's just kind of a quick run of where I'm now. I own, uh, I own two gyms and I'm excited to get into the mentorship program because that's what my passion is for. But that's just kind of a quick rundown of what I have going on now and who I am. Okay. All right. Um, so your father, obviously, uh, how many kids you got? I have one son. One son. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, and how old is your son? 
So he's 12 years old right now, and I missed the first six years of his life. So when he was just born, when I was when I became incarcerated, and I and when he was when I got out, he was six. And while I was incarcerated, one of the biggest, most important things to me was like realizing how I messed this up. Like, oh man, like I don't want this to be something. So I knew when I got out, I had to make it a priority. So the first thing I did was got full custody of my son back. I got out of prison and I went all in on being a father because. Um, like I said, I had a good father, so I wanted to be able to model that for my son too, and try to make amends for what I had already messed up. Okay. Okay. So, so let's do this. So fatherhood, we talk about fatherhood and it's always like our own fatherhood journey from like the time we become a father and then going forward. But the journey really starts with how you were fathered, right? Like, because that kind of gives you the blueprint for how you father, either you're not going to do the things that your father did, or you're going to try to like do exactly what your father did and replicate it and maybe add on to it. So let's let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, you mentioned your, your father was military. What was what was your uh, your relationship with your father growing up? My, my father was very present. He was very strict, um, military strict. Okay. Um, he he didn't uh, overly phys he wasn't overly physical with us when it came to discipline, but he was intense and the type of intense, you know, like the kind of grab you by the shoulders and shake you and veins popping out of the neck, spit coming out of your mouth type boot drill instructor type intense. Right. And the, and it's funny that you bring that up because when I first got home and I was uh, parenting my son, that was the parenting style that I went with because that's what I had had uh, taught to me. And kind of, now I've kind of learned that that's, can I tell a quick story real quick? So I went back home to Philly a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of years ago. Now my dad had twins at 50 years old. So I was back and I was up there and I was hanging out and one of my, or my little half brother, he said something real disrespectful to my stepmom. And I looked like, I was like, Oh, here it comes. Like I was scared for him. I thought here came my dad. He was coming that angry. And my dad said, Caleb, go in the other room and sit down and think about what you just did. And I was like, what? I looked over at my dad like, what? And my dad was like, Sean, like, um, it's not the same way that I parent anymore. He goes, I've learned and I've changed. And, and it blew my mind because I came home now a completely different father to my son because of watching my dad's transition. So I just said that to tell because you're so right. We parent the way we were parented a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because my, my dad is is way different with my daughters than he was with me and my sisters. Like yeah. I, I like it, it I, I'd say he's soft now. I always tell him like, man, you like oh, you just letting them do whatever they want to do. Like, what are you like, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be like the backbone. You're supposed to be backing me up on this stuff. And they'll call him and ask him for stuff. And he's like, sure, whatever you want. I'm like, come on, man. Like, what happened if we had McDonald's money at home? Like what, like what, like what happened to all that stuff? Like he's so That's soft fun. with them, but but he's like, you know, uh, he's like, I'm older. He's like, I don't have the energy to, to like be all over him. Like I was on y'all. And he was like, yeah. and he was like, the world is a different place. I was like, yeah, yep. I guess so whatever, man. I, I, just true. Once I want you to <laughs> want you to stand up on him. Like you stood up on me. Yeah. You're telling your daughter's stories. You're telling your daughter's stories. Like, man, dad, but you should see one out. And, and they don't see it. They're like, what? No, he's not. But you, no. that's funny. Yeah, no, not at all. They won't. They don't believe none of that stuff. They're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. There's no way he was like that. Um, okay, so so you uh you grew up in a military family, intense father. Does that does that do you? I mean, obviously, you say you had some of that when you came home, but do you carry some of that still as t in terms of like 
uh, being kind of strict and regimented and scheduled and things like that? I was, I, I wouldn't say no. I, I wouldn't say no. That wasn't something, I would say no. I don't have that same sort of um, structure. Everything was so structured with him. Um, I have a different type. It, I've kind of learned now discipline. That's something I've had to learn myself because growing up, I think it pushed me away from that. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like I wanted to be different than that. So I, I didn't have that same sort of structure and discipline that my father had at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's usually one way or the other, right? It's like you, you either, uh, you either like you, you just adhere to it and that's what you do as well. Uh, or you're like, yo, I need to get out of here and just kind of do my own thing and, and just kind of see how things flow. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, cause my, my stepmom, my second mom, as I call her, um, her dad is military or was military, retired military. Um, and so she's really like, everything has got to be like that. And so whenever I was with my dad or at my dad's house, he's not like that, but she was. And so the dynamic of the house was like, everything had to be in a certain order. My dad's like a neat freak. So it just works for him. Right. So he's yeah. always cleaning and straightening stuff up and the bed had to be made a certain way. And like, it was all these things that like, it wasn't happening at my mom's house. And so when I went to my dad's house, it was like, make sure I got my, together and straighten myself up um and it it, it was for me it was good because it gave me two sides of a coin right like it gave me an opportunity to see both sides of it I hated it at first though um because it was completely different and it was like yo you you," at that time when I was young and my dad married her I was like you ain't even my mom stop telling me what to do like I can't visit my dad not you um, but then I, you know, I embraced it and, and, and they're still together. They've been together for 30 something years now. So it's like, that's just what I do. That's right? awesome. It's just a part of a part of the programming yeah. at this point. Um, and so I, I see myself sometimes doing things that my dad does, but then I also see myself doing stuff that my mom does and my stepmom. And I, and I'm like, man, unconsciously doing it. Right. Like I'm not even trying to do it, but I'll have my daughter make her bed and I'll go back and look at it. And there's like this yeah. struggle of like, should I have her tuck it or should I just, you know, it's, just, it's made, but it ain't tucked the right way. Like, you know, I'm kind of struggling with it. But but uh, it's interesting how that happens. All right. So. So now let's say we're, you're 16, right? And you're, you're in high school. Um, and I understand the high school dynamic. Obviously I was in high school and I know how things are. Um, but, but, but kind of walk me through the, the, the struggling with addiction part of it. Cause that's, that's an interesting part of the story that I think we, we can we need to highlight yeah. and at least talk about. So what happens there? So it's a good question. So um, we moved to Philadelphia from, um, from Virginia beach when I was young. Right. And, uh, there was an issue that happened with my mom. I don't know that I try to go too far into that, but my mom kind of like left us and we moved. That's when we moved to Philadelphia. And I started just, my dad was working like two jobs. That was, he had just got out of the military. My dad was working like two jobs at this point. So we would just had a bunch of freedom at home and I just started hanging out. I just chose the wrong group of friends. Uh, it's what they were doing. I'm not sure how they even got into it. It just started with small stuff, like just smoking weed here and there. Um, and then prescription medications, like just thing. It's all, I look back on it, man. And I just look at how stupid it was, but it's something that I had. Uh, I think that if we want to really get down into it, I think that there was insecurities inside of me. And I feel like um, 
doing doing drugs and stuff like that kind of made me feel important. Uh, I know it sounds dumb. Selling drugs definitely came from insecurities because um, I was never like saving money trying to be like a drug dealer. It was just that um, I had this. It made me feel important. It made me feel needed. It made me feel like the man for, you know, and I know it sounds stupid and corny and people would probably hear that and be like, man, that's dumb. But um, but I kind of just fed off of that kind of being important. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And I think when people say like, oh, that's dumb, you're saying it with a with a little bit more of an understanding, right? Like you're older and you can look back at it and be like, oh, that's dumb. But honestly, as, as a 16 year old, as a teenager in the neighborhood that I grew up in, the, the dudes that was dealing drugs was like the man, right? Like you knew it was wrong what they were doing, but like, you know, they pulled up in these nice cars and nice clothes and they had girls and you know what I mean? Everybody knew them. I can definitely see the draw to it um, because, I mean, that, that was like, it seemed, even though you knew they were doing wrong, that's where, that's where it was at, right? Like that, they were, they were getting money or whatever. And, and so I, I can kind of see that. And, and so I'm definitely not going to be like, that was dumb. I can see where it was at. And I had plenty of friends that, that took that route. So, so you start off using, ended up selling and then, and then, but well, hold on. You, you mentioned though, you had, you had four rock scholarships. What sport did you play? I was a soccer player. I played so soccer. And soccer. I, yep. Okay. So you're playing soccer uh, while, while, you know, kind of struggling a little bit. And I'm assuming at that age, you probably didn't consider it a struggle. It was just having fun. Right. I, so it was, of, yeah, exactly. Kind of just dealing with that, but still playing sports. And then, and then you mentioned losing the scholarship. How did that happen? My senior year, I got uh, arrested with a decent, I mean, for being a high school kid, a decent amount of marijuana. Um, and that police report got back to the school, which then moved up the line to, there was a couple of different schools interested in me at that point, And I lost all options at that point. I actually got kicked off the team my senior year and all those scholarships were off the table. So I ended up going to a division two school and still playing for a couple of years until I failed out of college because my drug use just got even worse when I went to college. Okay. Okay. So, so, uh, I mean, dude, you, you're still like to be able to, to kind of go through what you were going through, right. And still be able to play at a pretty high level. D2 is, I mean, that's not like, you know, it's not community college. No, it was good. Uh, when did you get to, a, when did you get to a point where you consider like where you knew it was an addiction? I would definitely say in college. Um, it's, it's so, it's a, I know that this isn't the route like your podcast normally go. And like, I, I, I'm sorry that it, it seems kind of like in a weird direction, but I, it's uh, that I just couldn't beat the addiction, man. I just, it was definitely just some insecurity inside of me that I just wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Um, mm -hmm. Once I was able to, find the Lord. I don't, I, you know I mean? Once I was able to form a relationship with God, uh, that's what I'd been missing inside of me this whole time. Um, I had a hole inside of me where only the Lord could fit it, could fit in that hole. And I was just trying to stuff all these artificial, whether it was girls, whether it was clothes, shoes, money. Like I was just trying to find anything artificial that I could to fill that void. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us have, have those voids right maybe not maybe not to the degree of yours and everybody has varying levels of of, of void um and we all have our vices we all have things that we are trying to to fill that space with 
as opposed to being a little bit more enlightened and, and working on ourselves or, or improving our relationship with, with our creator. Um, can, like you said, like uh, the void that only God can fill, right? That can yeah. kind of make you feel whole. Um, and a lot of us struggle with that. And, and don't worry about like podcasts. And, and I think I saw, I actually heard you say this on your podcast. You're talking about like, um, you know, finding a target market or a niche and kind of like only speaking to that person. But the podcast is, it's, it's a, it's a whole podcast. It's 360. Fatherhood isn't just about, uh, you know, changing diapers and, and teaching lessons, right? There's, there's a whole journey that I think we all, like I said, we all need to kind of understand how you get to a place, right? Cause we can all at the end of the day, stand and celebrate the champions and talk about the, the, you know, the great plays that have happened in the game. But then when you look at like the behind the scenes or you look at the, uh, like these, these stories and these documentaries and you start seeing all the stuff that goes into getting to that point. Right. And so we're talking about fatherhood. There's a lot that goes into that journey, right? We can't just be like, Oh, well, what are all the great things you did in fatherhood, right? Like, I want to know how you got there. And people need to know because those are the things that helped you get to where you are to make you who you are. Um, and while they were struggles at the time, they're, they're pointing to your successes. And there's always a message in the mess. So, yeah, I don't, I don't mind, yeah, you, I don't mind going there with you. Like, I, it's really important uh, for me and, and for you. Like, my, my father struggled with addiction when I was young. Um, and, 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 and really honestly, until about six months ago, and I don't even know if it was that long ago, I never even talked to him about it. Like, I've always wondered like what, cause I was old enough to know what was happening, not really know what was happening, but I was old enough to know something ain't right. Um, and then when he went to rehab and him and my mom split up, then I really knew something wasn't right. Um, and you know, we went to visit him while he was there one time and like he, my father used to have a goatee, right? He still does to this day. It's like his, his thing, right? His faith, his goatee, right? It made him shave everything off. He was smaller. Like, you know, I, I just had the, the, the idea of what he looked like at that time. And it's ingrained in my mind. And all my whole life, I've never talked to him about what was happening during those four years, right? Until, yeah. like I said, six months ago. And, and it really helped me understand him and the way that he parented me better. Um, I never talked to him about his relationship with his father, but that really, because me and his father had a great relationship until he passed away, but him and his father had a terrible one. And I never like really talked to him about it. So like the, the fatherhood journey, like I said, starts at the beginning and works all the way through and every single stage of it, every part of it is important. Those things that you went through, you, you I mean, those are memories and experiences that you had that you're going to draw from and use in your future fatherhood journey. So I don't think it's anything that we shy away from. I think we talk about it all. And so don't, don't apologize for, for, you know, going off on in this, on this uh, particular road because it's important. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So um, you, you go to school a couple of years, you drop out, um, you know, things or you fail out, sorry, not drop out, fail out. Same kind of similar. Um, Same thing. Yeah. Obviously going well, or yeah, they aren't going as well as you want them to go in terms of school. And maybe you're, you're just, distracted and things are kind of, you know, you're starting to do some other things. Uh, so what happens next? So I, I started to try to, at this point, I realized this isn't right. I got to try to figure this out. Like I wasn't raised this way. I have I had a, you know, good family. So I was like, okay, what do I do to fix this? So I called my mom who was now living in Texas 
And I said, mom, like, I need to get out of here. I need to get away from this. This isn't the way I want to live. So she got me, she was like, well, I'll, you know, you can come down here with me, but uh, for one, you're not just going to live on my couch. And for two, I'm not flying you down here. So you got to take a Greyhound bus. So I'll never forget. She got me a bus ticket from North bus, right? Greyhound bus going from, from North Philly to, to Texas, um, yep. which I can imagine sucks. Cause I, I used to take the Greyhound. I went to school in Northern Michigan. Uh, and my mom lived in, in like 60, 60 miles outside of Memphis. So if mm -hmm. I had to go visit my mom, if I went to go visit my mom, <laughs> I took the Greyhound down and it was, it wasn't yep. five days, but it was a miserable experience uh, every time. So I can only imagine yeah, that's what rough. that was like. Um, so, so, uh, so you get down there and then, and then what happens? Okay. So at that point, uh, I joined the Marines. I'm like, I gotta, what am I gonna do next? I was like, okay, I'm gonna join the Marines. I think it'll be good for you. It'll straighten me out, right? I, my whole family was military. I just thought it would be the next thing to do. So I go to boot camp in San Diego and I actually was like really good at it. Being I'm really good at being in the military. I, I like ranked up in boot camp, which is rare. Um, and then I was a squad leader when I went to advanced infantry training. And then I go home on leave, go to a party, and did the same stupid stuff I've done over and over again, get high. So thinking I'm, oh, I only need three days and I'll be clean. It'll be out of my system. Didn't happen. I went back to, um, went back to the, to, where was it? Cor uh, Camp Pendleton, failed a drug test and then got kicked out of the Marines. So it just continued. So there. They'll boot you off of just one test. They don't. You don't get like a, a probation or like, yo, hey, get it together or nothing. No, not the Marines. The Marines is zero tolerance. I fought it for six months. I had a lieutenant general come speak at my hearing. They still said no. Oh wow. Well, okay, all right. So then, so so now what? Right, you 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 found what you think is going to be like the thing that turns you around. You, you, you slip up, right? And then, and then you get kicked out. So now, so now where, where's Sean's head at, at this point? Uh, man, I was a mess, to be honest. I just, I'll get through all this bad stuff real quick. So then I get back to, uh, I get back to Fort Worth, Texas. I'm living with my mom and she gets me a job at this car dealership because she works with car dealerships doing their warranties. So I get this job at a car dealership. And again, I'm really good at that. I was making, I mean, I'm 22 years old at that point, and a couple months I was making like $10,000 a month selling cars. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, the car industry is alcohol and drugs ridden. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of, and I'm not trying to say that about people now that it's bad, but there's a lot of drugs and alcohol in that industry. And a guy came in and bought a couple cars cash. And I was like, man, what are you doing? Like people don't just come in with 30, $40,000 cash and buy cars and especially ask to put it in three payments of $9,099. So it doesn't get reported. And, uh, and he was like, man, you don't want to know. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I kind of do. So he told me what he was doing. And I guess for lack of better term, he put me on and I started selling drugs at that point. And I mean, not started. I had always dabbled in it small time, but this is when it became something where I tried to, uh, to get too big with it. I was kind of good in that sort of sales and people and, and uh, I kind of turned this into something bigger than it should have been. And after about four years of that, uh, my door got kicked in by the DEA 
And I say still to this day, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And while I was and I was doing like pretrial sentencing and that my original pre-sentence investigation came back that uh, they were going to give me 13, it was 13 to 16 years for my first time ever in like actual legal trouble as an adult. Wow. Yep. Wow. That, okay. All <laughs> right. So, so then you, uh, Jesus, that spiral quick. Yep. <laughs> All right, so so then you, you go to you go to prison. Uh, you you end up doing doing six years of that of that sentence. Correct. So they dropped. Um, I had a when they came to my house the second time. There was, and this is just kind of weird details, but I had a gun in the home that was was not around drugs or money. Like there was no. I had a house where my son and wife at the time lived, where I never had any sort of like drugs or anything at that house. So they tried to tie that gun to me, but that ended up getting thrown out. So I ended up getting nine years. And then um, in 2000 and I want to say 14, the federal government gave everybody on a nine nonviolent drug offense, which I had two years off. So that took me to seven and I ended up doing six, six years, but going to prison. And I know I just said this was like the best thing that ever happened to me. When I first got there, um, I realized when I got two choices, I can sit in here for the next, at the time I thought nine years, feeling sorry for myself and blaming the government and blaming whatever, or I can figure out what can I do to better myself and what can I do to make this to where I needed this wake up call. Like, and I don't think a year or two would have worked for me. I needed a sentence of five, six, seven years. I needed something where I was like, wow, this is serious. So I just started working out. That's where I found fitness. Like I was always like in shape from playing sports, but I never really had any fitness background. So I just started working out like all the time, eating good, just learning what I could. And I had a bunch of guys in there say, Hey man, whatever you're doing is working. Can I work out with you? So I was started training about 10 guys in there and just, they started getting results. And I was training this doctor and he was like, man, Sean, you have a gift for this. He goes, if, if you want, I'll, I'm willing to pay for any certifications you want while you're in here. So while I was incarcerated, I got four personal training certifications I got a two-year associate's degree at East Arkansas Community College, which is right near Memphis. And um, then I went to a residential drug abuse program that was a year long, and it took a year off my sentence. And it was what was really cool about that program, which was probably, I don't even know how to describe it. It, was, it wasn't about drugs. It was about rational thinking. It was about stop, like, stop lying to myself and believing it. Stop coming up with excuses and justifications for why I do stuff. And it completely changed the way I think. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, uh, all right, a couple of things. One, the doctor, prison doctor or inmate? He was a inmate who was in prison for writing prescriptions for crack cocaine. So he would write prescriptions to someone for like pills and they would give him crack cocaine. And he ended up getting caught doing that and got sentenced to, uh, I think he did 10 years. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, now look, I want to, I want to, I want to definitely get to, cause I know what's coming next, right. Is after the six years you, you go home and I, I don't know what's coming next. I have a, an idea of what's coming next, but I do want to touch on something really quick and you can stop me or, or opt out of this part. If you want to, you, you very shortly mentioned earlier, your mom, I'm assuming your mom and dad stood up, your mom went away and then you moved on and, and lived with your dad. How long, how long were you living with your dad 
away from your mom before before you kind of started messing around with, with drugs a little bit? I would say probably a year or two. Okay. Now, look, you, you go to therapy at all, son? So now I do. Um, I'm a big, big okay. advocate for counseling, yeah. Okay, so this isn't therapy, but this is, you know, me going, having gone to therapy, having my wife being a therapist. Uh, I don't know what the situation was with your mom and dad, um, but we talked about a little bit about a void, right? There being a void there that you're trying to fill. A lot of times on the podcast, because it's talking about fathers and, and fatherhood, I, I always talk about, or not always, but I talk about the, what the, what's called the fatherhood void, uh, which is just basically we're missing some part of our father. So there's this part of us that's missing, this piece that we can't find, this piece to the puzzle that we're trying to replace or, or like bring in and, and kind of make us feel whole. Um, but there's another side to that, obviously. If there's a fatherhood void, there's a motherhood void. And a lot of us don't identify it as a motherhood void because we always revere our mothers as, not always, but a lot of times we revere our mothers as saints, right? They never really can do any wrong. We're always mama's boys and et cetera. Uh, but then we're very easily able to put, uh, you know, to put pain and anger and frustration on our fathers because that's what society does, right? Um, but I, I would I would venture to say, and I, again, I'm not a therapist and this isn't therapy, but there may have been a motherhood void that you were trying to fill, a part of yourself that that you had lost just a year or so before um, and, and an identity piece because you at, at 15, 16 years old, you're going through an identity crisis and somewhat because you're transitioning from being a kid to becoming an adolescent or and starting to become a young man and, and being without a parent, either one of them at that point, you know, to kind of help ground you in your identity is difficult. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. No. I'm not going to ask you any questions on it. I'm just giving an observation. No, you're so, <laughs> because no. Of, you know, because of doing... You're so right. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're a hundred percent right. I mean, and I've through counseling, it's funny that you said that because that's exactly what they've said to a T that um, when, when my mom left us like that, that it caused like uh, extreme insecurities and then also caused a lot of the way that I've been with women and the way that I've like always felt like attached and having to have mul like multiple women. And I don't do that anymore, but just, there's just tons of things that have happened from that situation and you hit it right on the head. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, like I said, my, my wife is, is a therapist and I've gone to therapy and we go to therapy and I think it's a very important piece to understanding who you are. Um, and not that therapists have all the answers and they're definitely not going to fix you. They just are a, a guide uh, you know, like a tour guide where they kind of take you in places that you probably wouldn't go before because you just don't know to go there. Um, and so when I heard you mention that, I, I just, you know, and because of the podcast, and because it's, it's, it's a fatherhood podcast and I talk about the father void, I never really talk about that motherhood void, but that is something that is real and that a lot of men do struggle with. And it does have some relation to how we treat the women in our lives. Um, you know, whether it be being a little bit more promiscuous or, or not giving women the commitment that maybe they deserve because we have that issue ourselves um, or insecurity, right? The, the woman that is, you know, that you feel like loves you no matter what is for whatever reason not there. It definitely makes you feel in some regards the same way you would feel.
what's going on, guys? I look, I know the podcast is just starting to get good to you, but but I just wanted to let you know that the um, the ebook, the ebook, Seven Steps to Being Healthy and Fit, it's free, completely free. So uh, if you are are not already following me on Instagram, go ahead and follow me at You Can Call Me Coach, and you click the link in the bio, uh, and you can go ahead and grab that ebook right now. If you're not able to do that right now, I'm going to go ahead and put it down in the show notes somewhere. You can find that link. Go ahead and grab your copy of the book. Uh, if you don't like to read, you can also look on my YouTube page. I actually went through each step and detailed it and actually gave a ton more information uh, that's actually in the book. So, again, go ahead and grab your copy, your free copy of Seven Steps to Being Healthy and Fit. And let's get back to the podcast. OK. Um, all right. So, look, so we uh, we, we kind of took a little side street. Right. Let's get back on Main Street. <laughs> Um, okay. I like going down the side streets, though. It's always interesting stuff down there. But uh, so you do six years, uh, you get yep. out. And as you say, you go all in on fatherhood. So take us down that journey. So my goal when I got out of prison was, I know it sounds defeating, but was to make $12 an hour so I could make $500 a week. I wanted to get an efficiency apartment and get my son back. Like, that's all I cared about. Because I had a good father and I knew how important that was. So my biggest regret, my biggest regret the whole time I sat in there was um, how important it was to be for me to be a dad. Like I didn't want to, cause it wasn't like, I didn't never thought of it. Like, Oh, it's no big deal. Like it ate me up the whole time. I used to sit in there and just dream about doing stuff with my son. Um, and that's something that, that I don't miss anymore. Like I don't miss any opportunity now with my son. So um, luckily I met a woman right when I got out uh, right away. I got that job making $12 and 50 cents an hour. And uh, while I was training at a gym as a personal trainer, I met this girl and this, this woman, uh, for some reason, she saw something in me that I was scared to death because I've, you know, I, you guys just heard my story. I've messed up everything like in my life. Uh, So I was terrified about this when she was like, Sean, you have what it takes. Let's open our own gym. And I was like, man, I got a 490 credit score and $17 to my name. Like I don't have what it takes to open a gym. And, after uh, a couple months of us being together, she kept pushing that. Um, and she helped me, you know, she helped me regain full custody of my son. And it was just like, I, I felt like God put her in my life. She's exactly what I needed. And we went all in on that gym. So, and then we got married even before the gym. So within the first year of getting out, first thing I did was got full custody of my son. Second thing I did was got married to a godly woman who loves the Lord and third was still within that first year, we had our first gym open. You got busy, man. You got busy real quick. Hey, so I got a question for you. So I've, I've, yeah. I've talked to some guys uh, in, the, in the custody battle and, and, and things like that. And what would like that always seems to be a struggle. What was what was your experience there? Because it seems like it happened really quick for you. And I know guys who have been struggling with it for for years, kind of going back and forth in court and all these different things. Um, what was that experience like? My son's mom uh, was still struggling with the same sort of stuff that we did before I went away. So she was in and out of rehabs. So she actually uh, signed off on everything to give me full custody. And so it wasn't much of a, uh, like a, like a, a battle per se. And my mom had done a lot, even though my mom didn't have like legal custody, my mom had had him most of the time. So when I say that, it wasn't like I had to get, if I make it sound like I had to get out and fight for it, maybe I'm being, um, not explaining it properly. 
Um, but I just did everything I needed to do to legally have the paperwork signed over for me to have full custody. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, I was curious because like I said, guys are typically fighting a battle. Um, but you, you just, you needed to be present and, and be kind of on your feet in order for, you know, things to kind of just be transferred paperwork wise. Um, okay. That makes sense. All right. So, so you, you, you know, you got your son, you got a gym, you got a wife. Um, you're, you're basically living the American dream at that point. You know, you get yourself a picket fence and a dog and you, you, <laughs> you it's uh, crazy. You, yeah. You've, uh, overcome, you've overcome one of the biggest obstacles that anyone has in their life. Um, and then, and then you kind of move forward. So, so tell me, tell me now, like, okay, so that's a year in over the next, few years when do you start the when do you start the nonprofit? when do you start kind of getting into to mentoring okay so this is my favorite part uh, I really feel like this is I really believe that the reason I struggled for those you know 10 years of drug addiction and the insecurities and the way I lived my life was for this like you know I, I'm a big believer that God will allow you to walk down the path um, he won't push you down the path but he'll allow you to go in a certain direction because there's going to be he's going to turn all things for good right so I had a police officer um, that had been working out at the gym and knew my story and knew how I was doing, asked me to go and share my testimony at a school called Turning Point, which is an alternative school. So all the kids that have been kicked out of the school district have to go to this alternative school. So I'm really in the shoes. Um, I'm a sneakerhead. I, I probably have a hundred pairs of Jordans. So I had, I put on my Dior Jordan ones and I wore them to this thing, to this school and immediately I had, you know, um, a connection with these boys. Um, and, and I did it on purpose because I knew kind of what it was, the point of it. I knew what I you know, and, and right away, these boys were super excited. Man, where'd you get your shoes? Oh, my God, those are so awesome. And these 31 kids, um, I think there was literally it was like 27 black kids, like three Hispanic kids and this one white kid. And. And, and I don't mean to bring up race like it's some, but it's just, it's important to me. So at the end of it, the, and these kids were awesome. Get, don't get it twisted. Like the, the counselor was like, I've never seen these boys like pay attention or care to a guest speaker ever. Like they've been paying attention and asking you questions. And at the end of it, the counselor asked, how many of you guys have a father figure in your home? Three of the 31 kids raised their hand and had a father figure in their home. Like I, and, and I know, like no exaggeration. I literally cried. I cried not right then in front of them, but I cried on my way home because I was like, man, how in the world do you know how to become a father or how to become a husband or how to become a, like, if you don't, if you've never seen it modeled for you, man. And I just like, my heart broke for those boys and I could tell exactly why they're in this, like why they're going down the route that they're going. And on that drive home, I felt like God gave me the epiphany to, Hey, this is what your calling is right here. Like, I want you to help kids, like boys, just like this. Like, I feel like so immediately, I mean, that was October 10th of 2019, maybe, yeah, 2019. And I filed for my nonprofit, my 501c, like within a week. And within three weeks, I was already in a school every Friday working with those boys and, um, it's just taken off from there. Like we have, we work with a lot of boys. We have 13 boys actually locked into our program. Um, and this is what we do. So I go to a school, I share my testimony, I hang out with the boys. 
if they decide they want to be in our program, they have to fill out an application because we want them to actually like put some sort of skin in the game, kind of feel like they're having to like earn to get into this. So they fill out an application. We sit down with them. We do some due diligence on like, and, and it doesn't matter if they don't, if they do have a dad or don't, or like, we don't, that's not like a straight, like criteria, but it just happens. I think I don't, none of them in our program have a father around. So they have four stipulations. Once a month, they have to have a sit down meeting with a mentor uh, and do short-term and long-term goals. They have to uh, be passing all their classes. They have to um, be, their attendance has to be uh, whatever the school requires. They have to do two hours of community service and they have to check in once a week with me or one of the mentors. Now, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing three times a year, Uh, are you there? Yeah, I got you. You were, you were saying they're doing what they're supposed to do uh, three times a year. Okay. We take them and we buy them a pair. They, they earn a pair of retro Jordans. Um, and I'm not talking about like just like some jumpers. We buy them like two, three hundred dollar Jordans. Um, and that's just kind of like. Oh, let me if, sign up. <laughs> it's cool, man. It's really cool. Like, I can't wait. I'll show you some pictures or the Instagram. It's second chance mentors. And you could just see these boys. I'm talking. I've never seen so many 16, 17 year old boys cry over a pair of shoes that like I, that I take for granted. Like it's a lot of these kids have never had a pair of shoes like that. And if, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to like play on it in a way that seems like, Oh man, you try and trick these boys. Yeah. If I, I have to trick these boys with a pair of Jordans to get them to like be successful in life. I'm, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Listen, Sean. I, look, by any means necessary, right? To, as long as the means are are admirable or, or you know, morale, morally like succinct. Look, if it takes Jordans to get to get young men to straighten out their lives and, and, and embrace um, you know a better life for themselves or see a better life for themselves or start to do things that get them, I don't, bro. Get them ten pairs or like whatever it takes. That's right? it. because that that group of men is going to be our future. They're going to be our future leaders, our future pillars of the community. They're going to work important jobs in the city. They're going to do important things for the people that surround them. They're going to enlighten and uplift their community. And if all it takes is to get them a pair of Jordans to get that happening, bro, Michael Jordan himself should be handing them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so I look. I I really like I really like that. I mean, you said it's your favorite part of it. it. It's it's. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts too. Is because one, those young men don't have a father figure, right? And then you then you come along and and you are now their father figure. Uh, you know, in, in some degree, where you might just be cool, Uncle Sean. Uh, you may be you know Sean from the mentorship program, or you know whatever whatever nickname or term of endearment they've given you at this point. Um, but you are there because of your consistency. Like you're, you're getting to see these kids once a week. You're putting structure into their life. You're helping them understand the things that are important. I mean, that's what a father does. I'm sure you're teaching them lessons about life. Um, you know, you're, you're helping them do different things. I think I saw you, you, you tied somebody, tell somebody how to tie a tie or something like that. Did I see that correctly? Like those are things like that, that they wouldn't get elsewhere, right? If there's no father there, um, they're going to learn by themselves. They're going to learn from someone who isn't going to teach them the right thing. So, I, I mean, 
I commend you on what you're doing. It's super, super important. I think the young men of tomorrow definitely need it. Um, and so that's awesome, man. And like I said, by any means that you have to go out to do it, I think it's definitely worth it. Um, you're doing God's work for sure. Thanks. It, it means a lot. And it, it's, I always get kind of like awkward when it comes to like, like talking about the race side of it. Like, you know, cause all of our kids, like I, I know I've said this three times, so all of our kids are black and Hispanic kids. And like, that's what my heart's for. And, and I know, see, like, it even makes me feel awkward right now. Like, I, cause I'm not trying to be this like white savior complex. Like, it's not like I like, look at me, look what I'm doing. It's, it's more of um growing up. I see a lot of my um, and again, a hundred percent, I've been in situations where I grew up very privileged. Even the situation of me getting out of privilege, like I have grown up very privileged. And I, I realized that there's a lot of men, um, for instance, a lot of white men who can't, like older white men, right? Who can't really accept that without um, feeling like it's taking away from what they've done, right? They're like, oh no, I, I've worked really hard. I'm not, I'm not privileged now, hold on. like. Empathy is something that we need to figure out how to have as um, as people towards other people. I feel like that's what we're lacking in this world in general is just empathy. But I guess where I was going with that is um, I was very privileged, right? And what I don't want to see with these boys is what I've seen with so many other, like my black friends growing up, is they got to the point where they were like, man, I don't have the same opportunities as these white boys. Screw it. I'm not even going to try. And that's what I don't want to see happen to these boys. So like what I try to show them is, look, it might be a little bit harder for you, bro. Like it really might. And it's not right at all, but let's make it anyway. Like let's go hard and let's get there. I just, I'm just tired of seeing friends that I grew up with that had so much potential, bro. Like young, good looking, smart black kids that just gave up and went to the streets because they didn't feel like they had any other opportunity. So that's basically what I'm trying to teach these boys. And I also want them to know that not all white men um, are against them. Like, it's not true. I know the media might present it that way, but it's just not true. I have so many white men that I work with that, um, that pour into these boys and the money that I get, I've brought in $51,000 this year in donations, uh, just to be able to do this for these boys. And that money is coming from these older white business owners that love what I'm doing and keep pushing what I'm doing. Um, I, sorry, I didn't mean to get into race like that. But but like I'm big in teaching these boys financial literacy. I think that's one of the reasons there's such a gap in in uh, in, in nationalities or in you know between black and white. Like I feel like the financial literacy stuff is something that like I was taught at a young age, and I feel like a lot of these boys they've never had. They don't even know about a bank account. They don't know about credit. So one of the biggest things that we teach is financial literacy. We help them open a bank account. Uh, we help them as soon as they turn 18. We help them open a credit card and teach them how to manage the credit card so their credit's good. Um, sorry, I, I feel like I just started rambling, but I hope that makes sense. No, 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 it does. It does. And so, and in this particular situation, and, and you know, what's really cool is that your awareness of it, like not wanting to be the quote unquote white savior is, is, is enough to let me know that that's not what you like. Just, just the fact that you, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable when you talk about it. But the fact that you are aware that there is some discomfort is, is cool because race is real, right? Like it's a reality. And, it, and no matter who comes at you or whatever, the, it, it's, it's a real fact, right? That the yeah. underserved and underprivileged are typically uh, brown skin, right? And so when you yes. go into these schools, I agree. these programs, that's, that's typically who you're going to see. 
So in my opinion, it doesn't matter who's going in to provide some, some help and some resources, right? Like it doesn't matter the color of the skin, the fact that we get the resources is what's important. And when we start putting like, oh, white people can't help black people, then like, well, shit, <laughs> the, the, that we, we're going to be in trouble for a long time then, right? You, you need somebody to, quote unquote, reach across the aisle and help um, because that's important. So I don't want you to feel, uh, you know, feel like weird about it, dude. Like you're doing, again, God's work. You're doing work that is necessary. Teaching financial literacy is super important. I came from um, a family that they, I mean, we struggled, but we wasn't like poor, poor. But as far as financial literacy, I didn't learn any of that stuff until I was an adult. Like I had to learn it on my own. Like I heard about credit and I heard about bank accounts, but like, I didn't have a real bank account until I became an adult. You know what I mean? So uh, the fact that you're teaching these guys young, that you're providing a, a, a resource for them to learn and to grow and to to get some of the experiences that they otherwise wouldn't get, man, that is that is like you just continue to hang your hat on that, right? You continue to to feel uh, fulfilled by doing that. And what other people say or feel or think really doesn't matter. Right, because the work that you're putting in speaks for itself, right? Um, so, like I said, just just can continue continue to pour into these young men. Um, you know, if 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 at all in any way that I or my supporters can help, we definitely want to do that because those young men's lives are are important. Um, because it's not just the 13, right? It's the people around those 13, right? And then it spreads like it spreads like wildfire. And so the more that you pour into them, they can pour into uh, others and, and it starts to build a community uh, of, of people who are informed and, and have resources to grow and expand and to become better men and then become better fathers than the fathers that they had. Um, and so that's ultimately what we want, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great way. Thank you for understanding and making me feel comfortable with that because I need to learn how to not be awkward with it because it's what my heart's for man and my heart is definitely in the right place of why i do it and i just i need to learn how to be okay with with being able to discuss it yeah i mean look this is just look at it like this every time you feel that you just think about okay the 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 13 the 13 guys right you just just imagine one of their faces from the time that you you met them to now Right, how much their lives have improved, how much they've been enriched, how many things that, that you've been able to teach and show them. And then you just put that up against that discomfort of talking about it, right? Like it, the, 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 the pros outweigh the cons, right? It, it just definitely outweighs whatever feeling. And obviously you're human, you're gonna feel feelings, right? And I'm not, I'm not here to be one to tell you not to feel that, but, but I just think the work that you're doing is so impactful that uh, you know, I think once you let that go, I think it's gonna take off, take off. Like it's already, it's already taken off, right? Because now I know about it and I'm gonna try to do what I can to help. And I'm sure people who are listening to your podcast and who are who are following you on social media are doing doing what they can to help. And like you said, you were able to raise funding and, and so this thing is already taken off and, and it it starts with you, uh, but it's about them, right? And that's that's the important part. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Well, I love it, man. So, 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 uh, 
so your son is 12 now, right? Is does he does he get to do some of this stuff with you? Some of this uh some of this work with the with well, I'll be probably going during school hours, but but like when you guys do events and and you know, giving back and all that kind of stuff, does he is does he get to be a part of that? What's really cool is my son has 13 older brothers. Like literally, like these my my little boy is with that. He's everything that we do, he's with them. Um he he looks up to these boys like I can't even explain how my son looks up to these boys. He, he follows our Instagrams. He'll show me stuff. Dad, look at, you know, so we got one kid, big Jerry. Um, we got him back out of the alternative school into the regular school, back on the football team. His mom called me the other day crying, saying how proud she was of her son. And it, it makes me want to cry right now. But yeah, anyway, but to what you asked, my son is involved with every step of the way. And like, it is like these kids look out for him too. So he's really proud of that. And I'm proud of it too. Yeah, and see, that's that's just another layer to it, right? Is that now you're showing your son, hey, look at what dad is doing. Look at how dad is affecting the community. Look how dad is is going out and giving of himself and pouring into other people. And he's going to see that as an example of the type of man that he can be, right? He doesn't necessarily have to go that route, but he sees that that's possibility, right? And so typically what happens is is the next generation will build off of the foundation that you created. So if you've created this foundation of, of giving and caring and, and doing all these things, well, then he's going to take that and springboard off of that. Right. And so the tower gets taller. Um, and so look, man, doing, doing what you're doing is, is huge for the community, but it's obviously huge for your household as well. Um, I don't, I don't think you want to have uh, 14 kids. So having, having 13 <laughs> older brothers in this way, is uh <laughs> is, is definitely is definitely uh better in that regard um and think of all the experiences that that your son is getting to have he's getting to one live his life right live live life with his father but then he's also getting the experience of life of 13 brothers and sisters like like in my household i have four sisters two i mean they're all stepsisters but so in my mom house there's two sisters and my dad's house there's two sisters and even though we lived in the same house we all have different experiences right and so I can talk to my sister about a situation that happened that we were both there for and she has a different outlook on it than I do your son has now 13 experiences that he can draw from right like he can talk to those guys at different events at different times and they're gonna you know they're gonna give him some game every once in a while they're gonna tell him some stuff and like his brain is expanded so far past where a normal kid you know, a normal kid who's in the house by himself is, right? And so, you know, when I when I talk about fatherhood um, and, and, you know, being a father to the children in your household, it's not easy, but it's simple, right? Because they're there and you're there. But when you're a father to someone outside of their household, when you're a father to someone who's not even your child, when you're a father to someone who has different, different uh, experiences culturally, religiously, uh, uh, physically, right? You are, you are, you are in that next level of fatherhood, I would say, right? Like you've already elevated from just manhood to fatherhood. Congratulations, right? That's a tough struggle, but then to take that fatherhood and elevate to the level where you're a father figure for several other people, for a whole community of people, dude, you're doing a great job, man. Keep it up. Thank you, man. That means a lot. Yeah. So look, I, I do have I do have a couple more questions, um, and, and because I just said that, and we talk about fatherhood being the next level of manhood, um, and you're a father, and you fought for your son, and now you're fighting for these young men. 
Um, I can kind of guess what your answer going to be to this question, but I've asked every every person that's been on the on the podcast, and I always get a little bit of a different answer. Um, but what does fatherhood mean to you? Hmm, fatherhood means to me. I I think I would have to say fatherhood means sharing my experiences, basically what I've learned through my good things and bad things that I've done that I would want to pour into the next generation or pour into my son so that he can not make the same mistakes. And just to be able to show him love um, in a fatherly way so that, because a lot of times they say, you're going to look at your father. And then sometimes the way your father treats you and loves on you is how you're going to make a correlation to God. I don't know if you ever heard that said, but um, so that's, that's kind of a step that fatherhood means to me is I want to show my son the same love to where he doesn't have a bad outlook on fatherhood. Okay. I like that. I like that. So you love, you love him as God loves you. Right. So it's, 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 uh, that's, that's big though, man. That's them big shoes and put them, put the God shoes on, but, but that's what fatherhood is. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's a big responsibility. It is a big commitment. It is a big, uh, uh, sacrificing of yourself, uh, in order to give, uh, to another person. Um, so that's, that's dope, man. That's really dope. I think, I think why I always get different answers for that is, uh, is fatherhood is almost too big to put in the words. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where like, there isn't a list of words that can just, you know, pinpoint exactly what fatherhood is. Like fatherhood, I, I believe is probably much like manhood is it's, you have to be whatever you need to be when you need to be it. And you can be all those things at one time or one of those things at, at, at one time, you know what I mean? Um, and so that, that's, I like your answer. I like your answer, but, but, because putting, putting your faith in God and then showing your son God through you is, 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 is the mission, right? Because we're supposed to be representations of God on earth and to be a representation, representation of God in your household to your children and the way that you love and care and, and fight and, and defend, um, and provide for them is, is important. I like it. Yeah, that's okay, good. I and I don't more questions for you. Okay. Um, no, go, please go. No, no, go ahead. I would say I don't always get it right. Like I might've made it sound like that sounded good and all. I don't always get it right. I mean, I struggle a lot with this parenting thing, but I mean, that's kind of like my, the bar I try to, to reach. Okay. Uh, and since you said that, I'm going to ask you another question. Then. So what, what's, what do you, what do you think is your biggest struggle? What's been your biggest struggle, I guess, in fatherhood? I know the answer to this one. My biggest struggle with fatherhood is not forcing my son to be who I want him to be, but by be allowing my son to be who he wants to, to be and then try to nurture his gifts and nurture who he is going to be as a person. Because I struggled with the whole time I was incarcerated, I was come, I was like, I'm going to come home and my son, we're going to practice football every day or soccer or whatever sport, baseball, we're just going to be and um, my son likes sports and he plays sports, but it's a little different level of athlete than, than, than I was. So, so he has other gifts. Like he likes to serve and he likes to serve at church and he's good on the cameras and he's good on technology and I'm good at none of that. So for me, it's kind of having like my biggest struggle is having to like learn how to let him be who he is and not who I want him to be. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that's that. See that I that that's something I can relate to, bro. Because I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with is is we have these ideas of who we want our kid to be. Uh, we want them to be better than us in these ways, or we want them to be like us in these ways, and not like us in those ways. And we kind of put this image of them in our head of who we want them to be, and we sometimes lose sight of it. You know, they're little people right? They're, they're, they're just smaller adults that are going to be people. And we're trying to raise them to be something that maybe in some ways they're not. And being humble enough and respectful enough and wise enough to know that and then allow them to be who they are and nurture that is, is, is really one of the more important things in fatherhood. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad we were able to point that out, man. I'm glad we, uh, we didn't miss that part. Um, and we all struggle, bro. We're all struggling with something in fatherhood. It's something, something that we're, we're, you know, trying to figure out or trying to fix or trying to do right. And that's what this podcast is about is, is getting information from other fathers. We're sharing our experiences, sharing our struggles, sharing our journey, uh, so that somebody somewhere can grab a hold to it and maybe use it as, as a way to pull them out. Uh, of, of a, a spiral or, or you know as a, as a life vest or something like that to keep them afloat when they need it um so thank you man i appreciate you sharing that um so those two questions i have um okay so let's let's say let's say uh you're going to speak uh, you know you're going to speak you somebody contacted you and, hey sean we need you to come uh we need you to come talk we got a group of people um, and we really need you to give them a message. Uh, so when you, you get there, uh, you walk in, you take a peek, you look at the crowd and it's all, all men, all these men are fathers. Um, in that moment, you got to decide what, what message you want them to hear. Uh, you step out on the stage, clear your throat. What's that message? What do you want them to hear? I'd say, I think the most important thing I've, I've actually got, this kind of goes back to like, kind of like some advice for fathers that I, that I have. And I stole this from, do you know, Raj from the, he's the father figure. He's got the clothing brand, the father figure brand. Well, he's mm-hmm. got a, he's got a part that says be present, not perfect. And like, for me, I think that that hits fatherhood. Like that's the best advice anyone could possibly give is be present and not perfect. Like, just be there, man. Like, be there as a dad. Um, you don't have to have it all figured out. Like you say, you don't have to be perfect. And then the second thing that I would want to, that I would want to share, which I think with these men, that I think that uh, it's really good advice for fatherhood is be okay with apologizing to your kids. Like, I have to apologize to my son a lot. And I feel like it shows a level of humility because I want my son to be able to apologize for his mistakes. I want my son to be, okay with owning up to when he messes up. And I just feel like um, those two things are like that I've learned and here fairly recently um, are something that has like, I feel like really like taking my fatherhood and like being a father to the next level. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important, man. Both of those, right? Present, present over perfect and and being able to apologize. Look, man, again, you're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to be the the ideal father, the, the TV sitcom father, or, but, but if you're there, right, if you're present, fully present and available, um, that's always going to be a win. And, and, you know, apologize. I had to apologize to my daughters yesterday. <laughs> um, 
I was rushing them out of the house because we're going to be late, trying to get them to school. My youngest daughter was kind of, kind of like dragging her feet. And I'm like, dude, if you don't hurry up and get out of this house. And so I raised my voice and I typically don't. So when I do, they both like tremble. Like, <laughs> um, and so we're driving and I'm trying to be cool. Cause I wasn't really mad. I just needed to like shock them into moving. Right. But of course they, they, you know, daddy's mad at us. Uh, daddy is, is upset and you know, we're in the car and we're listening to music and, and they're kind of like, just quiet like normally a car ride we're jamming right whatever song is on we're all singing we're getting fired up for the day but they're quiet and i realized that that they took it they took it personal and so i you know i turned the music off and i'm like you know what guys i, I really apologize i am really sorry that i i did not i did not i wasn't able to say what i needed to say to you guys in a way that you could hear it and so i just raised my voice and I'm really sorry. And then we talked the rest of the ride. Like we just talked about being able to express our feelings and emotional intelligence and how we can say things. Sometimes we mean something, but it comes off as something else. And it was super, super cool to have that talk with them. And so I really appreciate you saying that and, and, and giving that as something that fathers, fathers can do uh, because it's important. And that's a great message for fathers. All right, fellas, the pandemic has been rough on us and on our relationships, man. I know a lot of guys are struggling, trying to find that 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 peace, that balance, trying to build that relationship. And, and honestly, even if you if you did well during the pandemic and your relationship is solid, it's always good to try to be better. So we're doing it again. My wife and I are bringing you the virtual couples retreat. For our second year, right? Last year was phenomenal. Tons and tons of uh, results. People got an opportunity to, to share. It's an inclusive thing. So not only are we teaching you, uh, there's yoga, there's couples massage. There's all these different parts that go into it, man. And, and the connection with you and your lady is phenomenal. This year, we'll be doing it November uh, 14th. I'll be posting more about the actual dates. But I just wanted to give you guys a heads up, man. That thing is coming around soon. So grab your lady, uh, you know, let's let's build on these relationships. Remember, for your children, that relationship between you and your wife or your girlfriend is is super, super important in them understanding and having emotional intelligence. They are watching you. So make sure you're giving them a shining example. All right, man. Back to the podcast. I'm a I'm one last question. OK. Um, similar scenario, right? Similar scenario. Uh, you get the call. Hey, we need you to come talk. Uh, you know, you, you walk in, you take a peek behind the curtain and, uh, there's only one person in the crowd this time. And you're like, Whoa, you know, you called me over here to talk. This must be important. This per one person must be important. And you walk out on the stage, spotlights come on, you clear your throat, you look out and it's your son. What message do you want him to hear? Would I want my son to hear? Oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, I think it would be because you kind of prepped me on this one a little bit beforehand. So so I kind of went in with like is one of the hardest things. I think one of the things I think I see kids struggle with a lot and never and one of the helps them or stops them from reaching their potential is falling for self-pity is like I think I would be like, hey, Caden, that's my son's name, Caden. You might you're going to go through some hard things in your life. 
but you cannot get stuck in self-pity. You cannot get stuck in that victim mentality. You cannot get stuck in feeling sorry for yourself because I feel like all that's going to do is hold you back. It's going to keep you from, from trying to be everything that you can be. So like, yeah, you're going to go through some hard things. Like life is hard, but know that you're going to get over it and you can get through it and then keep pushing to the next level. I like that, man. I like that. That is an, that's an important one too, because uh, even as adults, we struggle with that, right? Like that's one of the big things that, that adults struggle with. So being able to, to sit there or stand there and talk that and say that directly to your son and let him know, uh, let him know that is, is going to be super important. And hopefully, hopefully you're having that conversation with him already. Right. And, and kind of grooming him and letting him know uh, that those things are going to happen. Sean, look, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on. I know we had all kinds of struggles uh, with this, with the tech today, but look, I, I think the message is clear. I think we really uh, touched on some things that are important to share with, with some of the other fathers. Um, I appreciate you taking your time um, out of your day. Cause I know you're busy. I know you got gyms opening up and you got mentorship programs. You're, you're a father, you're a husband, you're just a busy guy. And so, I appreciate you taking the time. Listen, if, if the guys want to hear more from you, if they want to figure out a little bit more about, about the mentorship program or, you know, they're in your area, they want to stop in and hit the gym, um, how, would they, how would they go about finding you? What's the, what's the best way to, uh, to get in touch with you or to, to follow you uh, on, on your journey? Yeah, for sure. So uh, social media is always an easy one. Um, my Facebook is Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Last name Surface, S-E-R-F, like Frank, A-S-S. I know it's weird, but Sean Surface. And then uh, my Instagram is at Sean, S-H-A-W-N. And then second, it's the two N-D, not spelled out. And it's Sean Second Chance. Um, And then there's links to everything on there. The mentorship program link is on there and everything. So, um, and also, man, Rod, thank you very much, dude, for having me on the show. Like it gave me kind of like a special type of confidence that I kind of needed, especially like in the route I'm going. And then your feedback on like the, the race situation, man, like that was a God thing. And I really appreciate the way that you were able to like to tell me just like, man, keep pushing. Look at what you're doing. Look who you're helping to not get caught up in my head about that, man. So this was an awesome opportunity, man. I really appreciate you for having me, dude. No, thank you. Thank you. And look, I, I feel like we're going to continue to to connect and, and try to uh, like, like I, I told you on the phone, I'm, I'm working on a, a nonprofit myself, not necessarily with with young men, but but with young fathers, you know, to kind of the next step from where you are right now um, in their in their you know trajectory of life. Um, and so we definitely got to connect on, on that regard and, and kind of talking about that. But I think you're doing great work, man, uh, with the podcast, with the gyms, with the, the mentorship program, what you're doing with your son, um, what you're doing with your wife, being, being a good husband, all those things, man. Just keep keep pushing. The same message you have for your son is the message that I would have for you is that things are going to go up and down. There are going to be struggles. But as long as you keep moving forward, whether it be an inch a foot, a mile, as long as you keep moving forward, you're going to be okay, bro. Keep doing this. And, and like I said, I'm glad that we connected um, and we're going to stay connected, man, and just keep growing together. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Rod. No, thank you, brother. Hey, have a great day. Um, and I'll talk to you soon, man. 
we're about to take off to go watch. Uh, me and my son are going to Houston to go watch the Eagles bust up on the Texans tonight. So we're about to take <laughs> off right now. All right, man. Have fun, bro. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Later, man. Later. You just tuned into another episode of the Forfeit Fatherhood podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow me at You Can Call Me Coach on Instagram. Also, follow the podcast at Forfeit Fatherhood, the number four and the letter U on You Can Call Me Coach. Uh, go ahead and flip over to the next episode, man. I know you love this one, so you'll probably love the next one. Excited for you guys to hear it.